Before you get comfortable, pull up. Come on up closer. You know the rule. Come on down. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Be obedient. Come on, I want closer. Closer. We're going to have some fun this morning. I don't bite. I love it. Come on down. Come on down. Don't look at me all funny. Come on down. It is a joy to be here again with you. And uh, a lot of things have changed. I, I go away for a little bit and then babies have been born. Babies have been added to families. Hair has grown. Some hair has gotten gray. All kinds of things have changed. My, my, nothing has changed for me except for this, this gray in the beard here. <laughs> it is my privilege again to be here with GRX, with my family at GRX. I consider you my family. And what a joy. I don't know how much you know about what I've been doing, but I've been away. I've been out in Calaveras County. How many of you remember Doug Stevens? Awesome. I'm doing what Doug Stevens does. I'm the transitional pastor. So within the covenant denomination, I serve as transitional pastor. So I come into churches that are having challenges and those that aren't having challenges that are just seeking to have some stability. And I come in and, and, and stable the ship, as it were, and, uh, and trust that God will uh, allow us to get through I'm at a church right now in Calaveras County. It's called Good Samaritan Community Covenant Church. If you don't know where Valley Springs is located, it's about, once you get to Stockton, California, you keep driving another 35 minutes northeast. You're way out there, and that's where I'm serving now. I've been out there since last October. They just re-upped my contract. They said, you don't have a choice in this, Pastor Ali. You, 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 you got to stay for a bit, so I'm going to stay. I think I'll be there until uh, next April, if the Lord says the same. Uh, and we'll see what happens. Uh, they're in the process of searching for a permanent pastor, and so in the meantime, I get to serve with them. Great thing about that county out there, it's uh, the dynamics, cultural dynamics is much different than here. There's probably about five, six people that look like me in the whole county. <laughs> That's not bad. It's not bad. It just means that you've been doing the cross-cultural thing, but that's good. That's a good thing. This morning, what I want to do is I want to invite you to walk with me with something that's dear to my heart. And it has something to do with this whole thought in mind, if I could go that way, with what it means to be an apprentice, a disciple. Dallas Willard says apprentice which is a disciple of Christ. The reason I want to get into that, we're going to get into our text that uh, in John and the whole story, the whole uh, restoration of Peter. We'll get into that. But I think at the heart of it is this thing about loving God. But even before you get to that piece about loving God, I think there's something that we have to go back and revisit. And it has to do with whether or not we are really serious apprentices or disciples of Christ. Don't get quiet on me now. The reality is that there are a lot of people showing up in churches 
to check the box to show that they have been here. They're doing good things in the church. They're operating all around the church and inside the church. Wonderful things are occurring in the church. But I'm wondering if the church is really inside of them, if they're really disciples or apprentices of Christ. Now, I'm not coming here to make you feel guilty or make you feel bad or make you feel anything. I just think that we are living in some times now where we've got to reflect on whether or not we are really serious about leaning all in to Jesus. Technology, this world is changing rapidly. And it's very easy to get caught up, get distracted, as it were, with everything that's going on in the world, and begin to kind of drift, as it were, away from our discipleship. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would open up our eyes, open up our hearts, help us to see Jesus. Help us to see you, O God. Help us to do a self-introspection, a self-examination. Let us each ask ourselves, are we in the faith? Are we all in for Jesus? I pray, God, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable before you. Let them hear from you. And I ask this in the precious and matchless name of Jesus Christ and the church of God said, amen. Amen. I, I struggle a little bit at times. I struggle with the idea of discipleship because for many years I thought I was there. For many years, I, I, I was a check-the-box, kind of just-show-up-on-Sunday kind of Christian. Even as a minister, I, I was checking the box. And as I've gotten older, it's occurred to me that life behind me is gone. And the life in front of me is less than the life behind me now. And I'm more resolute than ever. I'm more determined than ever to lean in to Jesus. I believe that we are living in times where we've got to really, really, really self-exam. Take a self-exam of where we are, where we are in this faith. I think our text will reveal some things to us. That might be helpful for us. Now, just a background a little bit on the text. In the book of John, John gives us the reason that he wrote the book of John. In fact, some people say that there are actually two conclusions to the book of John. They say one is chapter 21, of which we're going to be in, and the other is chapter 20. He tells us in chapter 20, verse 30, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. 
But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That is the reason for writing the book of John. All throughout the book of John, if you care to check it, go back if you haven't read it, you will find that word belief all throughout the book of John. And it's almost as though what John was saying is that, that I'm, I'm writing you because we're convinced that this person is the Christ. And if this person is the Christ, then we as disciples are compelled to follow in his steps. It's a bit of a challenge for 21st century Christians because there's so many stories out there. On the one hand, we have the, 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 the world's humanistic story. The world says the way that you fix the world is you educate everybody and you get technology. And the more technology you get, the more artificial in, uh, information, the more artificial intelligence, the more AI stuff, the more, the more you do all of that stuff, the more you get everybody to a place of education, the better you're likely, the more likely you will fix the problem. That's the humanist story. The biblical story is God's story, which is the bigger, the grand story that simply says that humankind has been broken since Adam and Eve. And that brokenness now has reverberated throughout all of humankind. And the only way that brokenness can be mended or put back together is that Jesus Christ had to shed his blood. God looked at humankind and he said, okay, the only way that they're going to be fixed is I've got to fix them. And he has provided a way through the blood of Christ, through his own son, who no one took his life. He willingly gave his life that we would have abundant life. The challenge for us as disciples is to accept the reality that we have been forgiven. And then after we accept that reality, move on now to follow him. We don't get to sit down. We are called to follow him. I want to pick up the text at verse 15, chapter 21. Of John. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. 
And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. And then Luke 9.23, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, this is Jesus, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Today's takeaway is very simple. Apprentices or disciples of Christ, Jesus, embrace the cross life with a wholehearted love of Christ and genuinely care in serving others. Let me say that again. Apprentices, disciples of Jesus, embrace the cross life with a wholehearted love of Christ and genuine care in serving others. Why do I say cross life? I want you to hear this because this is where uh, sometimes folks, say we, we miss it. The call to be a follower of Jesus Christ is a call to do exactly what Christ has uh, did, has done. The call to be a disciple is a call to death. And what, what Jesus is saying is that if you want to really follow me, if you want to be part of what I'm about, then do as I did. Follow me because my, my direction, my journey ultimately leads to death. What does that mean for us except that we, we have to take up that cross daily and remind ourselves that we have, been died, we have died in Christ? The old man, the old person, Paul says, has now become a new person. We are new in Christ. We were buried with him in his resurrection, in his death, and we are raised with him in resurrection. We are people of the book. We are people that have been restored. We are people that have been forgiven. And if we are restored, forgiven people following Jesus Christ, then we have to do likewise with others. Resurrectional life, I call it. The resurrectional life becomes the cross life, which is not something that we attain. But it's a lifelong attitude. Gagatha must be applied deeply. And here's where it gets tricky. The big challenge for us is whether we're going to allow Gagatha to apply to the kingdom of me, to the empire of me. Because if you're going to take up that cross, that means you've got to be willing to put me to death, put self to death. There's no way you and I can follow him if we are usurping his throne and we are sitting on the throne of me or sitting on the throne of self. You cannot love as he loved if me is sitting on the throne. It is the reality. The resurrected life is lived in the flesh by faith in Jesus Christ. Paul put it one way that I think is powerful. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That is a declaration of a change of identity. 
You and I are not the old person that's holding on to old unforgiving attitudes and all that stuff. You and I are new people in Christ. And, 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 and the reason is because Christ is in us. Christ in us, the hope of glory, Paul says. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Old have passed away. Everything has become new. The problem with us sometimes as believers is we forget and we allow the world to kind of shape us into its mold and put us into a place where we create an identity that has nothing to do with God. And it's a very subtle thing that happens. If we don't wake up in the morning and say, I'm, I'm not going to be a follower, an apprentice of Jesus. I'm not going to be a disciple of Jesus. It, it's not like that. It's just that we make decisions over time. And as we make those decisions over time, we begin to find ourselves drifting more and more and more away from the one who is the anchor of our soul. And what God is calling us to do is that if we embrace that cross life with a wholehearted love, a wholehearted love of Christ, then you will genuinely be able to care for others and help and guide others and disciple others. You see, at the end of the day, folks, what God is really looking to do is take, he's given us his son, and his son now has become the one that we imitate. You cannot imitate Jesus Christ if you don't know Jesus Christ. Uh Uh-oh. What does that mean? It means that somewhere, somewhere along the line, you and I have to have made a decision that we, we really believe the story. Because if we really don't believe the story, then all of this is for naught. If we really don't believe the story, then there's no reason to change anything. If we really don't believe the story, then we're still in our sins and everything is just, just what it is. If we really don't believe the story, then everybody can just do what they want to do. For tomorrow we die. You only go around once, the world says. Have fun today. Enjoy life today because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But if we're people of the book and we're people that truly have bought into the grand narrative that God is the author of life, And he has given us life through his son. And we who are on the other side of the cross now lead the resurrectional life. We are people now not only recognizing we're forgiven, but now we're prepared to follow him. Let me take a look at this text. You know, it's really weird. I was reading something just just the other day about uh, how we got here. And I was reading about Adam and Eve and that whole dialogue between Adam and Eve. We always blame the, blame the woman. Remember that, you know, when they got busted and they said, well, Adam said, well, that woman, everything was okay until that woman. But, but if you go back and you look at that text, the, the, <laughs> he was right there. He never said a word. Before Eve was around, he had been given instructions about the garden, Right? Right? And then all of a sudden, after everything unravels, yeah, that woman. But the reality is that 
Adam did not own up to his responsibility. He did what Eve suggested, and he, he took, took the fruit as well. And I was thinking about this. I said, now, it gives new meaning to this whole thing about who wears the pants, because both of them were naked. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> Questions to reflect on. Again, this is not meant to create any guilt. If you're feeling guilty or something like that, I, I don't want you to feel guilty. But, but I, I, want you to, I, I want to get into these questions. But let me, let me look at the text here. In the text, two times the fire is mentioned, a charcoal fire. The first time the charcoal fire is mentioned is when Peter drops the ball. They've arrested Jesus Christ and the very one who said, I will die for you. I love you. I'll, I'll do I'll, whatever it takes. I, I will be there for you. I'm all in. The same one said, I don't know him. And when he was, when he was outed by the slave girl, he said, oh, no, not me. And what was interesting about that, Jesus had told him that you're going to deny me three times. That was at that first fire, the charcoal, charcoal fire. Verse 9 in, 20, in chapter 21, verse 9 says, When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Now, this is the second fire. The first fire was when he was with the... the, the he was warming himself with when everybody had arrested Jesus, all the commotion was going on, and there was a sense of, you know, he's just kind of staying kind of on the down low, kind of quiet. This second charcoal fire, Jesus is saying, hey, we got some unfinished business. Let's talk. And you get the impression that what Jesus did was not openly rebuke him, but addressed the situation with grace and love and basically brought him to a place of understanding that if you're going to be my disciple, please hear this, church, you've, you've got to love me. Now, I know some pastors, some, some Bible scholars, they get into this whole thing of what love, was it agapao or was it phileo or was it both and all of this kind of stuff. And they go back and they play on the word there because he, he asked three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Which word, which word, word was he using? Was it agapao with God's love, unconditional love, or was it phileo, the brotherly love like Philadelphia? That's not the issue here. My own personal opinion is that that's, that's Johannian, that's that style the author's style, because he uses them synonymously sometimes. So I, that's not the issue. I think sometimes the Greek can give us some grievance, some give us some problems there. I think the issue at hand here is when he's asking Peter, do you love me? The temptation is for Peter to go all overboard because he's an overboard person. Oh, yeah, I really, oh, well, wash my whole body if you're going to wash. He, he wants to go overboard. He's full of self and self-confidence. Like a lot of us, we get full of ourselves. And what Jesus is saying here is, just, just, just do you love me? You don't have to go overboard. Just love me and feed my sheep. Follow me. 
He ends that text by simply saying, follow me. I want to say that to us today because what it really comes down to is asking ourselves, do we, do, do, do we really want to follow him? Follow me. The Greek word is akalutheo. Say that 20 times. Akalutheo. It means to, to accompany or attend as well as to follow. We get the word, our word, acolyte. Speaking of those people in certain churches like the Catholic Church or some Lutheran churches where they have acolytes, people assigned that they carry the incense or they carry the, uh, the candles and all that stuff, an acolyte. What Jesus is talking about is, is, is way beyond just being an assistant, just tagging along. I suspect that a lot of times what hinders our, our whole Christian walk, our disciple walk, is the fact that we just want to tag along with Jesus. We just want to tag along because tagging along does not infer any real commitment to Jesus. Jesus is saying, I don't want you to just tag along. I want you to be part of my life. I want my life to be in you and you to be in me. I want people, when, they see, when people see you, I want them to see me. The same forgiveness, the same love, the same mercy, the same compassion that I had in forgiving you, I want you to do that with people. And I want you to do it with those that are specially ostracized, those that I, that, that I care about that you may not necessarily care about. Somebody's going to say, oh, he's getting political on me, but I'm going to say this anyway. The immigrant is made in the image of God, in case you didn't know it. Come on, church, you know it's true. There is nobody in this world that is not that, that we can discard and kick aside and say, that person has no value in the kingdom, because how dare you say that? You're not God. So we are called to feed the lamb, to feed the sheep. And the sheep and the lambs come in all shapes and sizes and colors and textures of hair. All different kinds. How dare we would only just want to be with our own because our own makes us feel nice and comfortable like that first fire where Peter was warming himself. There's no commitment at that fire. The real commitment is the second fire where Jesus has prepared the fish for them and they're sitting down there and he's saying, hey, guess what? Uh, do you really love me? Because the answer to that is basically will tell you whether or not we're talking long-term sacrificial kind of love. An apprenticeship that could end in death. In fact, he does predict it. Some people have said, well, that stretch out the hand is, is kind of him being on the cross. No, uh -uh, it has nothing to do with that. It's just, he's, he says, when, when you're old age, you'll serve me in your old age, and probably you're going to be bound up just like me. You'll be arrested just like me. And guess what? It did happen.
And you see this migration, this slowly, I should say, transformation of Peter from the self-sufficient, self-centered, boastful, arrogant kind of Peter to one who has been called now to shepherd and feed the sheep. Who at the end of his life says, when you, when you crucify me, don't even, don't even write the cross up. Put the cross upside down. Turn it upside down when you crucify me because I'm not worthy to die as he died. That's a transformation of character and heart. Follow me. I want to look at those questions, and you don't have to answer questions to reflect on. But I just want you to kind of just, just use these as kind of a self-examination kind of probe, as it were. Who or what do you love more than Jesus? Who or what do you love more than Jesus? If you're really honest with yourself, ask yourself that question. Does your claim to love Jesus match with your willingness, your obedience to his commands? Everybody can make a big boast and and brag about, yes, I belong to Great Exchange Covenant Church. Yes, I belong to Good Samaritan Covenant Church. Yes, I belong. Yeah, all of that sounds good. I went on a mission trip. I did all these. Yes, it sounds good. But are you really obedient to what Jesus teaches? Is there any indication of spiritual spiritual self-righteousness or self-confidence in your service to the Lord? I had to ask myself that question as I was preparing this message. It hit me right between the eyes. I have to ask myself over and over, God, keep me out of the way. One of my favorite prayers, and I'll share this with you because you're my church family. I love you. But one of my favorite prayers is, God, deliver me from the kingdom of me. From that me, that Ali, that would want to sit on the throne that should rightfully be yours. Keep me in a place with a servant's heart. That's what I want. Hide me. Let them hear from you. When you're faced with a crisis, such as Peter, what motivates you to keep serving the Lord? Or do you? Are you motivated? Most of us will, will, will be doing okay as long as there's enough money, as long as the kids are okay, as long as everything, the wife and the relationship with the husband, everything is good. Most of us will be okay. But the real challenge for us, ladies and gentlemen, is when we are not okay, when we are in a crisis. And then when we're in a crisis, the real reality of our discipleship or our apprenticeship comes out. Are you committed to loving him through the difficult times? Are you just a sunshiny day kind of disciple? I love you, Lord, as long as you don't bring anything my way that's uncomfortable. God is saying, no, 
part of this walk is a walk of the cross. It's the cross life. Have you failed our Lord and think that you cannot be restored because of the gravity of your sin? I would be willing to bet that there's at least one person in a crowd like this, maybe two, that something has happened in your history or your relationship, some kind of way something has gone awry. And now you find yourself in this place of of trying to decide if you want to just tag along or if you just really want to follow him, even in light of that. Maybe you don't feel that you're worthy because of that failure, whatever happened. And I'm here to tell you today that this story is a story of God's grace. Grace for Peter. Grace for us. It says simply that even when we mess it up, God says, come on. We're going to do this. And you and I can be all in even when we mess it up. I think sometimes we just have to go back and own it. And that's what Peter was doing in his, his, his three responses. Three denials, three responses. Three responses that brought about restoration. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love? Yes, I love you, Lord. You, you love, yes, I love you, Lord. That's the challenge. Do you really love God? in a world that says you can love everything else, but you can't love God. Let it start with your families. Let it start with that neighbor, that person that's difficult to love. Let it start there because you see that person. How can you say you love God and you've never seen God and you see this person at church every day or every Sunday or at your neighbor and and you have issues? Or you say that they have the issue. You don't have the issue. The love is love that says, I'm a disciple. And I love the Lord with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with everything. I'm all in. And that's what this is about. Being all in for Jesus. If you're here, I'm not going to embarrass you and tell you to stand up or do anything. I just want you to bow your heads. If you need to do a control-alt-delete, if you need to kind of reset things in terms of your journey. Maybe you failed somewhere along the line. Maybe you're not all that you should be. Maybe you're kind of tepid in your relationship. Maybe you've been tagging along and you realize that you need to change that. I want you to just stick your hand up and put it down real quick. Nobody needs to know it. Every head bow. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. I want to pray for you. Oh, God, 
You know. Every single individual, you know who would be here this day to hear this message. And I thank you, God, that I could be an instrument for your glory. I pray now, Father, that you would begin to do a work within the hearts of those who have acknowledged they're not quite there yet. They need a reset, Father. I pray that you would help them do that through your spirit, that you would guide them, that you would lead them. Reassure them, Father, that you have forgiven them, that you will restore them fully for whatever they've lacked in the past. God, that you will love them and restore them fully. Help them to be all in. In a world that's half-hearted and non-committal. Oh, God, bless them for their boldness in, in acknowledging it this day. And honor them. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen.